0: Well, good morning. good morning. I have to say, I am just truly amazed that there are so many of you here. Uh, you're behaving like northerners. Um, this is a very unsouthern thing to do. You're not panicking. Uh, you're not huddled at home, crying in a position. Uh, you're here. So truly, thank you for being here. Um, it's really beautiful to see so many of you here. Um, also, thank you to... I know that there's a lot of you watching um, live stream from your homes. Um, I know of at least... A couple different homes where third members who were living in nearby have gathered um, in homes together um, to worship together in their homes, which is really beautiful. So we're grateful for that. Um, We are, uh, we transition to a new season. um, And so I just want to remind you, bring up our church calendar um, that we follow together as followers of Jesus and remind you where we are now um, in the pattern and the rhythms of the year that we follow. So Uh, We began the year in Advent, which is about the anticipation of the Messiah. Uh, We look forward with the people of Israel to the coming of Jesus uh, the first time, and we anticipate for his coming again. Um, And then uh, on December 25th, we moved into the the first of 12 days of Christmas, in which we focus on the incarnation of Jesus, that great mystery in which God became flesh in the person of his Son. Uh, And then uh, on Friday, we moved into Epiphany. An epiphany is a word that means manifestation or the revealing. In epiphany, uh, we look not at the birth of Jesus like we do in Christmas or the suffering and death of Jesus like we do in Lent. In epiphany, we look at the life of Jesus, uh, who he was in his person, and, and, and especially that through the way he lived and how he loved and how he healed and how he Uh, had mercy and how he restored. We see God through the light of who Jesus is. We see the kingdom of God breaking in through the person of Jesus. And so you can see we changed our banners around the room. Those of you watching online might not be able to see very well, but um, they are very lovely. And so we move from the purples of Advent, from the whites of Christmas, to the multiple colors um, of epiphany representing the, the kingdom life, the diversity of the kingdom life that Jesus brings into the world as he brings the kingdom of God among us. Um, and so that's what we're going to be until early March in Epiphany. Also today, we are beginning a four week uh, series here at Third called Renewal. Uh, we believe that Jesus is not just renewing the world, but he's renewing even our church. And we're in an exciting season in the life of our church over the last 12 months or so. We've been working on some strategic planning and thinking about the future of uh, new initiatives that we want to do in the life of our church. Um, And this month, we're going to be talking about a lot of those things. So for the next four Sundays, uh, we're going to have four different sermons on renewal, renewing different aspects of who we are in our church and what we do in the world. Uh, But we're also going to be communicating every Sunday to you a different facet of our strategic vision for the next three to five years. Um, And so every Sunday, we have a different focus. Every Sunday, um, someone from the strategic planning committee will be communicating to you um, every Sunday, we'll have a Q&A session about that particular thing that we're communicating about after the 1115 service, and we'll have it recorded, so even if you're not there, you can go back and listen to it. And also, every Sunday, in the bulletin, we'll have information about it. You can see it today on page 19 um, in your worship guide. Don't read it now, though, please. Um, and also, we'll have prayer points every week. We really hope that January is a month of prayer for our church as we pray together about the work of God among us. And so you'll see today there's prayer points for the week of January 8th. I really hope that you'll bring this home with you. You'll stick it in a journal or on your bedside table or whatever, and that you would pray, we would pray together about the work of renewal that God is doing among us. So that being said, today our theme is Renewing the Person, and our scripture reading is Titus chapter 3. You can open your Bibles there, or you can find it on page 10 of the worship guide. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for your mercy. Uh, We thank you for the snow. We thank you for um, the fact that all of us could gather here safely. We thank you for the way that we can gather even through technology all across the city. We thank you for the word of God that casts light and brings revelation of your truth into our lives. We pray today that you would help me and all of us through the spirit and in our weakness so that we would not just hear the word of God, but that we'd be changed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our scripture reading is Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. Hear God's word given for you in love. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Sisters and brothers, this is the word of the Lord. So this is the time of year when everybody is thinking about change, right? It's early January. Um, Everybody's making various New Year's resolutions. This is the time of year when gym memberships skyrocket, and when budget companies gross the most profits on their budgeting software, uh, millions of people quit smoking, millions of people start, di- start dieting. Um, and a lot of this, obviously, is just surface stuff, and, and we, we speak lightly of it. And yet, and yet, this desire to resolve, to do new things really speaks to a longing of the human heart. It speaks to a longing that really all of us have to change. And, and to be different. Uh, a friend of mine shared with me a really beautiful quote this week from an author named John O'Donohue. He, he talks about that there is this longing in all of us to change, to change our limitations, to change the sameness, to change the banality or even the pain of our lives. And listen to this, to change is one of the great dreams of every human heart to change, one of the great dreams of every human heart. Now, the problem is, of course, is that we don't, and we can't, and the failure to keep resolutions is so commonplace that it's just become a big joke, right? We all laugh about it, and that's why we end up here, the same place in early January, making the same resolutions many times over and over again. In fact, on New Year's Eve, uh, my family and I, with some friends, we were having dinner together, and we went around the table and said what our New Year's resolutions were, and I, when it came to me, I said that mine was to use uh, technology less. It is something um, that I feel like I am too kind of uh, uh, attached to my phone. I want to use it less. I want to be less attached to it. And then my children quickly reminded me, hey, dad, that was your resolution last year. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? Well, how would I do on that? And they said, we're glad you're making that resolution again. So, so this, this speaks to this longing for change and yet our failure uh, to do it. And then so often these resolutions is just an exercise in futility. But this passage, this really amazing passage, maybe you've never read it before, I certainly have never heard it preached on before, but it truly is a passage about real change, substantive change, permanent change powerful change, the kind of change that God wants to do in us, and that only the gospel of Jesus can do. Real, permanent, lasting change. Don't you want that? Don't you not want to be at the same place next January, (laughs) making your same resolutions over again? That's what this passage is about. So let's just walk through the passage. It's actually a very simple passage, and so I want you to look at it with me this morning. We're just going to walk through it, because it really just sort of outlines itself. The first thing I think we see in this passage is the need, the great need for real change. Look at verse three. At one time, we two were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Now, this is a a pretty tough pill to swallow, this this diagnosis of, of the human heart, but it gets at why change is so difficult for us and why we need it so much. Most of the things, as we sat at my dinner table on on New Year's Eve, and maybe you did too, most of the things we talk about when we talk about resolutions are external behaviors, are they not? We want to diet, we want to exercise more, use the phone less. There's external behaviors. But note that the things listed in this passage are mostly internal, more about vices or issues of the heart and character than they are of external behaviors. Many of these things that are listed in this passage could remain completely invisible despite how you're living. So take these two words. I'll just take two of them, for example. We lived, Paul writes, we lived in malice and envy. Just take those two things, malice and envy. John Stott calls these the evil twins of the soul. Malice and envy. You know, envy is coveting the good of your neighbor, whereas malice is wishing for the bad of your neighbor. And they go together. And if you don't think they do, you don't know yourself very well. We, not only do I look at my neighbor and actually wish my life was more like his, but I actually root for his demise. This is what the Germans call scheidenfreude. Have you heard that word before? We don't have a good word for it in English. It means to take joy in another's misfortune. So, so and yet all of this, can remain completely invisible. All of this is going on inside the human heart. You can actually be the nicest person and be really kind and be a good neighbor and shovel your neighbor's walk and, you know, be that kind of neighbor. And you can be involved in all sorts of activities and you can be very very busy in the work of nonprofits or work, you know, ushering at your church or whatever. But inside is this seething, toxic waste of malice and envy, the two evil twins of the soul, completely unobservable to others. And this is why we can't change, because here we are doing all of this work of external behavior management, and so little, we're inattentive to these internal things going on in the heart. How many of you, when you were sharing internal um, uh, New Year's resolutions, said, you know, my, what i really like to do is change how much I hate my neighbor this year? <laughs> Did you hear anybody say that? <laughs> no, we don't say that, because we just attend to the external behavior modifications, and the change that we truly seek and desire will never come through Fitbit's. We'll never come through gym memberships. We'll never come through new budget management tools because it's so much deeper than we can get at. Think of it this way. I heard a preacher use this illustration once, which I thought was really good. He said, imagine you take a rubber ball, okay? Little ones, you can track with me on this, okay? If you weren't listening up to now, listen to me now, okay? Imagine a rubber ball, okay? You take that rubber ball and you push it together with your hands and you make it flatter and thinner so that it takes up less space. Can you imagine that? Now, you take your hands away, and what happens to the rubber ball? What happens? It just pops right back into shape, right? On the other hand, if you take a, a, a tin can, a Coke can, or in our house, we just drink LaCroix, <laughs> sparkling water. Take a LaCroix can, whatever, take a tin can. You, you, you do the same thing you did the ball. You take your hands you press it together, you make it smaller and thinner so that it takes up less space, and you take away your hands, what happens? It stays the same. Isn't that strange? The ball back to shape, whereas the can... The reason is because you did not change the ball. You just restrained it. You did not fundamentally alter the, the structure of the ball. You just temporarily restrained it through external pressure. But with the Coke can, you actually produced change. The fundamental nature of, the, of what it is was transformed. So almost all of us, our experience of change is the rubber ball experience. Almost all of us. And that's why I'm back at the same place I was last January. Because we all have things about ourselves that we don't like. We all have things that we wish that were different. We all try to go out and change parts of who we are with all kinds of external pressures and resolutions and willpower and guilt. But as soon as you think, I got this, and you let up the pressure, boing, you go right back to who you were before. <laughs> You're the rubber ball. Most of our change efforts are just external management, and we do not get at the deep internal places of the soul that are causing our most serious destruction. So that's why we need change, desperately, because we can't do it. So what do we do? Where do we get the power for change? We'll look at the next verse, because this is where we see the source of real change. Look at verse 5 with me. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared... He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Now, this is one of those great, glorious conjunctions of Scripture. All right? Verse 3 and 4, terrible news. Verse 5, say it with me, friends. The first word, but. You didn't say it. Say it with me, friends. You can say it today. But. The great, glorious conjunctions of Scripture. Pay attention to the conjunctions, my friends. This is a glorious conjunction. It says, all hope was lost. What? But. We could not do anything about our situation. But. We were trapped in our own toxic swamp of the soul with no real hope for personal change. But. The glorious but. The glorious conjunction of God. God acts. God saves. God intervenes. And he does it. Not because we deserved it. Not because he looked at us and said, oh, wow, she would make a great Christian. Look at her moral performance. No. Why does God act to save friends? Why does he do it? It says it right here. Why does he do it? Because of his mercy, his kindness, his love. But God, he saved us because he loves us. In the appearing, it says, when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared. Of course, that is referring to the appearing of Jesus Christ. Who We just celebrated his incarnation at Christmas that because God loves us, he appeared among us in the person of Jesus to live for us and die for us and rise for us so that now through Christ, by trusting in faith in what Jesus has done for us, we can be saved, we can have new life, we can be forgiven, we can be changed. And our source of change is God himself, the mercy and love of God. And this is incredibly hopeful. If our only hope for change is you, you'd be in serious trouble. We'll see where that gets us. But if the true source of change is God himself, that is really good news. And the good news is even better because God wants to change us, not because he's fed up with us, not because he's tired of Steven, the way he is, or tired of Corey, or tired of Leslie, the way she is. He changes us because he loves us and he wants you to be the man he made you to be. He wants you to be the woman he made you to be. Little boys and girls, he wants you to be the boy he made you to be. Girls, he wants you to be the girl he made you to be. He wants us because he loves us to be the ones he made us to be. Do you remember Eustace Scrubs? Do you remember Eustace Scrubs? Yes. Voyage of the Dawn Treader. That terrible, terrible boy with a terribly bad attitude who, because of his greed, turned into a dragon. You remember him? And as hard as he could and as many times as he tried, he could not peel his dragon flesh away until he let Aslan in, until he had Aslan with those terrible, scary claws of love go right down into his heart and tear that dragon flesh away. Only when he let Aslan do what he could not do for himself was he changed. It required his trust. It required his submission. It required surrender. So don't you see that your capacity to change yourself is like Eustace trying to tear away his dragon flesh? It'll never work. It only can get so far. We cannot get at the deep internal diseases of the soul. We can't get to the dragons within us. Only Aslan can do that. Have you let him? Have you seen that the only real source for change in your life is God and his loving mercy for you? Will you let his claws into your life? So that's our our source of real change. Finally, as we move through this passage, we see the nature of real change. What does this change really look like? What is it? What does God actually do in us? Well, keep reading with me. Look at verse five. He saved us, Through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, there's something really amazing going on here. I want you to look at these two words in verse 5 rebirth and renewal. This is terribly important. I'm going to tell you the Greek word that this is. Normally, I don't like to do that because I feel like often when preachers do that, they're just trying to make themselves look smart and it's not actually helpful. But in this case, I really do think it's actually terribly helpful. The word that Paul uses here, I'm going to put it up on the screen, is the Greek word palingenesia. Can we say this together? Palingenesia. If, if you're one of these people who, like, loves word study and roots, you can really geek out on this, because check this out. Like, palin means again, and Genesia, do you recognize that? What do you think that means? Yeah, the beginning, like Genesis, the beginning of the Bible. Palingenesia. Again, beginning. Again, beginning. Sometimes this word is translated renewal, rebirth, regeneration. This word only occurs two times in the New Testament. How many times? Two times. This is really important, so I'm treating you like little school children here for just a second, okay? Two times, friends, palingenesia. The first time occurs in Matthew 19 when Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, at the end of the age in the Palingenesia, when the Son of God comes again to sit on his glorious throne. So here Jesus is speaking about the final coming of the kingdom of God when he comes again and renews everything in the time of his return. This is what we've been yearning for in Advent. We do not just simply desire heaven, brothers and sisters. We desire what? The palingenesia, the beginning again, when Jesus comes again as the king of all and restores everything, takes death, banishes it, takes tears, wipes them away, takes the sin and curse of our life, lifts it. This is the final climax of history. History is not cyclical. It does not go around and around again. It has a timeline. It has an order. It has a climax. At the end of it all is the palingenesia, when all things are renewed and made right again. This is what Jesus speaks of, the cosmic renewal of all things, the palingenesia. That's the first occurrence in the New Testament. The second one is here in Titus. Paul has the audacity to take this word used by Jesus and say right here, to apply it personally, to say when you trust in Jesus Christ, God takes the Holy Spirit and He deposits the palingenesia inside you. That God actually takes the same power that is coming to renew all of creation and all of the universe at the end of all things, and He begins that again beginning work, that palingenesia work, right now in your soul. You know, we like to think about time travel. Uh, You know, we make movies about it, TV shows about it. The best one, of course, is Back to the Future. Uh, You poor kids who've never seen that. Poor parents who've never showed it to you. You know, Marty McFly is living in 1985. He goes back to 1955. So he's wearing like this weird vest that they think is a life preserver, you know, all those kinds of things. He is the presence of the future in the present. And this is the very promise of Scripture, is that it is saying that God, when you become a Christian, when you trust in Jesus Christ, He takes the, the future palingenesia of all of creation and deposits it in your life right now. It is the presence of the future in your present. Do you see what I'm saying? You don't really look all that astonished, but this is really, <laughs> this is really astonishing. Another way to put this, I'll just keep trying to explain it in different ways. Another way to put this is that the Holy Spirit takes, puts a down payment of the future into your present account. You know, say you're broke. You go across the street after church to the 7-Eleven, and you buy a Virginia lottery ticket for that $10 million lottery that you've been seeing on all the billboards, okay? And, and, and you go home this afternoon, and you're watching a football game, and you just sort of scratch and oh, my goodness, you won $10 million. Now, what happens? Do they just give it all to you at once? No. They give it to you usually in like 10, 1 million deposits over ten years now your life will change not at the end but at the moment they deposit that first million dollar check into your account this is what god is doing when you become a christian it's like he takes the future all of this wealth and glory and power of the renewal of the world and he deposits the first down payment of the renewal of all things into your soul at this very moment is that not amazing the palingenesia of your soul you got nine million more coming yeah but you already got a million. And this is just the profound nature of change. This is what it means to experience real change with the power of the Spirit. It's not just a feeling. It's not just like the knowledge in your head that I am a forgiven and one day I get to go to heaven. No, it is the presence of heaven in your life now. It is the, the future renewal of all things beginning to affect and change everything in your life now. Socially, relationally, economically, interculturally, psychologically, Everything of what it means to be you begins to be changed by the power of the palingenesia right now in your life. Do you see how powerful this? This is such a different vision of personal change than we are used to thinking about. It's so much deeper, vaster, so much more lasting, so much more powerful than anything you could ever do on your own. Okay, I'm really worn out Um, and very warm. so let me just apply this as we close, okay? I just want to make a, a personal application and then a church application for us, okay? Personally, first. Personally, I think this really clarifies what, is it, what it means to be a Christian. What is a Christian? Is a Christian someone who's nice? Is a Christian someone who believes in God? Is a Christian someone who reads the Bible and comes to church? Is a Christian even someone who prayed a prayer to receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior and knows that they get to go to heaven one day? Okay, all of those things may be a part of what it means to be a Christian, but they are not the fullness. What it means to be a Christian is someone who has trusted in Jesus and is being renewed, ever renewed, by the present power of the Holy Spirit even now, who is experiencing the very presence of the kingdom right now in their life. This is why one of the great signs of becoming a Christian is baptism. That's what Paul is referring to right here. He says the washing of rebirth and renewal. See that font right there? We moved the font there about a year ago. Not because we didn't have space up here, friends. It was not a move of practicality. In fact, that's very annoying. It's sitting in the center of the room. We moved it there as a very powerful symbol that at the center of our community the reason why you are here, friends, is not because you're nice, not because you're moral, not because you deserve to be here because of your past moral performance. The reason why we're here is because the washing of the renewal of the Holy Spirit, it is the gateway into the new community of Christ. You are here because God has saved you and renewed you and washed you. And the power of the Spirit and our baptism is now a mark forever that we have been washed and received and united to Jesus Christ forever. Do you see that as your primary identity? Bob, can I tell him about what you do every morning, Bob Stamps? Yeah. Thanks, brother. So my brother Bob Stamps here. Every morning he sits in his chair when he meets the Lord, and he takes a bowl of water, and he dips his hand in that water, and he puts it on his forehead with Mark's sign of the cross, and says, "Thanks be to God, I am baptized." He reminds himself every single morning that what I am, first and foremost. He's not a man or not of this race or not this job or not of these times. What I am is united in Christ with the renewing, the very renewing power of the palingenesia now inside of me. Is that how you think of yourself? When you walk in here and you see that font, are you reminded, good Lord, I am new. Good Lord, I have the very presence of the palingenesia inside of me. Very new creation. You think of yourself in that way. That is God's promise. It's available to you now. So some of you, I think, have forgotten this. You're so bored. You're so pessimistic. You're so grumpy. You're so uncomprehending of the power and the potential that is now inside of us. Do you, have you underestimated the power of this to affect real substantive change in your life? I don't care what your issues are. I don't care what your addiction is. I don't care what your struggle is. I don't care what your habits are. I don't care, you know, what the degree of your brokenness or your fear may be, this can change it. This can renew it. This can overcome it. Look at the disciples. Peter was a jerk. Paul was a murderer. They were no different than you. And yet, what did God do? He made them world changers through the power of the palingenesia inside of them. Think what God may want to do with you. Drop your pessimism, will you? Will you see? Yeah, you can't change yourself, but look how God has put the very deposit of the new creation inside of you. Yes, it requires your cooperation. It's actually just going to magically happen. It requires you to do what Paul's saying here. He says, devote yourself to doing what is good. Surrender yourself daily to Aslan, surrender yourself daily to his claws. Confess your sin. Repent. Turn back to him again and again. Submit to the disciplines of the church. Submit to prayer and scripture meditation and Christian community and confession and worship. How are you going to do that this year? How are you going to cooperate with the very presence of the new creation through the Holy Spirit of God in your life? How are you going to do that this year? That's, that's our personal application. And then finally, communally, let me just talk about application of this for our church. Turn to page 17, if you will, for just a moment. Sorry, 18. I just want you to look at some of the ways that we are going to try to take this seriously in the life of our church in the coming years. Uh, If you look there in the bullet points, it says in the coming, the top half of the page, it says, in the coming years, here are some of the ways we're going to seek to partner with God in the gospel renewal of the individual person. First of all, we're going to reduce centralized church programming. We don't think programming, it can change people, but in the end it doesn't. It's God who changes people through this power of the Spirit, and that's usually through relationships. And so we want to reduce church programming, frankly, to be perfectly honest, so that you don't come here as much, and so that you're not involved in church activities as much, so that you actually know your neighbors more. And so we want to figure out how to get you into relationships more, so that neighbors and friends who do not know Christ might come to know him. Second, we want to implement new opportunities that may help seekers and skeptics explore the Christian faith. Why? Because we think one of the main reasons why we're here is to help people be renewed, help people experience the true change that Jesus brings. We're also going to develop clear pathways for members and attenders to take the next step in their personal walk with Jesus. We want to make it more clear about how you can partner with the work of the Holy Spirit so that you can experience personal renewal. And we want to make that more clear. And then finally, we are, we've completely redesigned, redesigned the role of elders so that many more leaders in the church are now in the future going to be spiritually shepherding people, mentoring people, discipling people. We are bringing to you uh, very soon a proposal to completely restructure our entire session so that many more elders are actually freed up for the work of mentoring and discipling people. And the question and answer session today after the service is all about that, about how we are completely redesigning our session. So friends, look, Jesus is in the business of making all things new. And the next few weeks, we're going to look at how he's wanting to renew the city. He's wanting to renew the world. But that renewal begins with you, like the ripples in the water. It begins in the heart. It begins where you are. So in this new year, what is change going to look like for you? The real change that we seek is only through the power of the Trinity. The Father who loves us, who saved us, the Son who has appeared, who has lived and died for us and risen, and the Spirit who now takes the very power of the future kingdom and deposits it, brings the presence of the future into your present to begin that work of renewal even now. Will you receive that today? Will you receive it? Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you that you do not leave us as we are in our malice and envy and all the seething toxic tendencies and character flaws and vices of our souls that are killing us from the inside out. We thank you that, but God, you saved us, not because we deserved it, because you love us. But I pray if there's any person here today that needs that saving today, that they would cry out to you, say, save me, oh God, I cannot change myself, I cannot make myself new, May they come to you today at the table to be saved. I pray, Lord, for the rest of us that we would stop being so pessimistic about ourselves and about each other, and that we would see that the very power of the palingenesia, the future recreation of the universe, is now deposited in us by the power of the Spirit. May we not be like the homeless person who lives on the street with a million dollars in the account. May we draw on it. May may we draw on the power of the Spirit in us every day through surrendering to you, through disciplines, through prayer, through scripture meditation, through the disciplines of the church, through worship and community and confession. Oh God, help us, oh God. We want to be changed, and we know it begins with Jesus. Make us new today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.